all for one family on stage. Their first gig, The Cars. It didn't go in that we could actually be meeting our producer or that this could be a major record deal for us. If you feel the emotion in every song, you give across the emotion of the song. You have been a wonderful audience and we will remember this. We will be back. When you're put in a situation where you have to perform, where you have to deliver, no matter what, something happens. That's why we're doing it. We're doing it because we love it. Hi, we're the Guzman. We were the photographers on Forgiven, Not Forgotten, and you're listening to Coursecast. Hi, and welcome to episode seven of Coursecast. In this episode, we continue looking at the promotion of the album, and again, a photo shoot that we are now familiar with, thanks to talking with Basha in the last episode. There's certainly been many images taken by a huge range of different photographers for this band, but few have ended up being as iconic as the shots by the husband and wife team known as Guzman. With a career spanning decades working with the biggest names in the music business, uh, a few examples would be Rod Stewart, Sting, Janet Jackson, Annie Lennox, just to name a few. I was really delighted when they agreed to an exclusive interview with Causecast and to discuss their time working with the cause on two days of shoots. The shots in question went on to be used for the album, for the singles and for the electronic press kit to advertise and promote the band back in 1995. The Guzmans were initially apprehensive about being able to remember anything from this photo shoot after it being so long. But as you'll notice when we discuss, the details come flooding out and the shoot was incredibly memorable for them for a number of reasons. In the show notes of this episode, you'll find a series of links with images and timestamps beside them so that you can follow along and better understand the images being discussed by myself and Connie and Russell. Join me as we go behind the scenes and discuss this photo shoot and answer some of the many questions that fans have had now spanning decades. I'm really grateful that you've said yes. I really am. I'm tremendously excited to have this conversation. Oh, well, we're happy. We, this is one of our favorite shoots. So, ah. And it was unexpected. Basha was the last person I interviewed, which was incredible. Yeah, she's great. She's a character. Yeah. It was lovely to hear the aspect of, of this album from a stylized point of view. It was, mm-hmm. it was very, when I first initially started this project, it wasn't something that really came to mind. It was like, I'll be music focused because this is about the music. And then right. as I started talking to people and having fan reactions, I really realized that it was more than just the music and the aesthetic of how this album looked to the people that originally picked it up off the shelves to how the album was sold to the world is a huge right. part of its success. So I needed to talk to people that were responsible for that from either the designers uh, Basha and yourselves it's really wonderful to be able to take some of your time today and and talk about something that happened 25 years ago it's wonderful to have the Guzman couple here the amazing Connie and Russell with the tremendous body of work that you you have and and still do do you know that it's not our last name I do know that yeah but I was going to ask you where it comes from Oh, we made it up because there's two of us. So we gave ourselves a pseudonym so uh, we could be anonymous. (laughs) And so most of our career, except very recently, where we, in the social media, where people would see that that we are actually two people and that's not our last name. (laughs) 
It, it was an attempt to make it singular. Mm. So rather than a team photographic, because it was kind of unusual at the time. So it was better to make it appear to be one person. I guess it it's easier to, oh, should we get the guys should we get Guzman to do that? It, it kind of right. rolls yeah. off the tongue where I oh, do yeah. you know do you know uh, Connie Hansen and Russell Peacock? They yeah. do some great shots. Right. It's just really right. succinct. It's snappy. It's, it, it, it makes sense. They didn't no one knew that we didn't we weren't Guzmans. They they would look at us and go, which one are you a Guzman? <laughs> it's it's kind of a branding thing, but we didn't really know know about that at the time. But that is in fact what it was. And where does the name itself come from? Um, it was just out of a hat. It's top secret. <laughs> top secret. Some things we can't reveal. Yeah. That, that's, I like that. I like that mystery. <laughs> that, that's, um, that makes me even more curious, which is even more yeah. fun. So no, well, that secret is safe with you and is certainly now safe with me. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got a series of questions. So let's just, let's go straight to this. Who were you first approached by for this shoot itself? We, you know, that we were trying to find the information, but I guess Atlantic, uh, Atlantic Records, maybe, or maybe it's in art department. Mm. Um, Richard, ba Richard Bates, Stanley Crawford. Yeah. Those are the ADs. Uh -huh. uh, and then I guess it really went through our agent because we very rarely talked to anybody until we actually had the job because they you have an agent mm -hmm. and then they they ask you whether you want the job and they give you the background and then you say yes or you know in this case we were like sure Sounds interesting can you remember what part of that brief for the job that specifically you found interesting well to be honest we didn't really know them and David Foster was apparently on board and we knew about him mm -hmm. and it was Atlantic Records. They showed us images because we didn't, weren't familiar with the, maybe it was like somehow it was like headshots or something or somehow we saw that it was a, you know, a family mm -hmm. and they were beautiful. So it was like a photographer's dream and then we thought, well, David Foster's, you know, uh, David's interested. Magic. Yes. And then we thought, well, they got to be good. Because they, they were, I mean, we weren't familiar with the music. So. Yeah. Well, they were worldwide. They were completely unknown at this time. You know, they'd, yes. done, a, they'd done a few bits of TV promo uh, in Ireland. But, you know, it was a very quick process from them being signed to suddenly having that record deal and actually recording the music um, that they've been demoing. Yeah. So, and that's why we were just completely in the dark. It, it, I recall that they were kind of um, naive about the whole process. They obviously, it was their first album and they weren't- um, They were very open. They were open to like everything, which is great. Because, you know, sometimes you get people that have been bands that have been making music for like 40 years and they're it's rather extreme so they were just open to all ideas and, and very uh easy to work with well they were so beautiful but yeah. you it was really you pick up the camera you have a shot <laughs> it's just beautiful yeah, you don't have to, you didn't have to worry about 
having to make them look good, which is, you know, always part of your hired to do. You know, so that was really not <laughs> not even an issue, you know, with them to worry about. Yeah, uh, that's fully understandable. Um, it's interesting you were given shots or you had some kind of visual understanding of what you might be getting into. Yeah, we usually like to see what the artist looks like or if you don't know them. Sure. And then also, I think in our world, we were used to, you know, people approaching us where uh, they were known entities. You know, it could be Rod Stewart, it could be Sting, it could be Janet Jackson, you know, it could be these. So we were the chords, we were, you know, you don't want, because sometimes you'll get fantastic shot, but it doesn't go anywhere. Mm. But when we saw the team, we thought, this must be something here that we don't know about. <laughs> so we were intrigued. <laughs> also, I think when you're, once the first album, it's, it's very important for the band because it kind of establishes their look. So you want to get it right. Mm. Um, and it's a great opportunity because of that, that you, you have um, a lot of possibilities. So you want to make sure that it's, it's going to be interesting, different. They're comfortable with it. The styling has to be interesting and they have to be comfortable with that. Um, so it's, it, it's a good opportunity when you work with a band for the first time. Yeah, you, you get to put your, your creative stamp yeah. on yeah. their creation. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but they also they also were looking to hire us, so they kind of wanted to play in that direction. Yeah, there was, we're kind of a specialty item. <laughs> yeah, there was something in the work that they saw that they that related to, they connected with. So that's the starting point. I mean, sometimes you're doing working with a band and you have no idea where they picked you. So that's that's challenging. Mm. But in this case, you know, there was a, a connection. So aesthetically, it makes it all the much easier to communicate, work through it and, and, you know, collaborate together. They didn't really show us anything of ours and said something like this. It was really wide open. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's typically how it worked. We never really knew... So once in a while they'd say, we like this, you know, this is kind of a direction. But usually it was always very open. Uh, there wasn't anything specific based on our previous work. One thing that I did, we had a diary that we used to keep where we would stick in Polaroids. Yeah, I've seen shots of your, your visual Polaroids yes. and stuff from different, different shoots. Yeah, so I, I was curious like what other bands we were shooting around that time which I think is 1995. Right. There were two sheets. One in LA and one in New York. Would you like to hear some of the other bands that we were working Yeah, oh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. There was Rod Stewart. So we, he was uh, working on an assembly line. There was a band called Nelson, Henry Rollins, mm -hmm. Space Hog, Annie Lennox, Katie Lang, Cowboy Junkies, Don Henley, Shy. So that was all within a three-month period. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just going to put a side note in that your your work with Janet Jackson is just, yeah, 
unspeakably oh, amazing. Thanks. That was that was a great shoot. That was one of our earliest, earliest after Debbie Harry. You know. Just yeah, amazing. Thank you. Saying that, are you able to sort of give me your backstory? And that can be as short and, and simple as possible, or or just start from where where you see appropriate. Yeah, there's two stories, and we kind of blended. I I and I'd say in the seventies, um, I was a teacher, and I taught, a, you know, black and white photography to gifted students in an art in art high school in Newark. And then uh, I took a course at the New School in Manhattan uh, for uh, studio lighting, and the instructor told me I should be a commercial photographer, and I didn't know what that was. <laughs> so. I quit my teaching job. I went to work for him for, as a second assistant. And then I stayed there for 18 months and I opened the studio, not realizing that, you know, that's pretty bold. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what happened was, it, I must have been at the right time at the right place and it just hit. So I was doing a lot of work right away. And I think 1984, I met Russell. I think he was looking for work and we started working together. And then we thought, I was a still life photographer and some beauty and things like that. And then uh, we said, oh, we should be fashion photographers, but we didn't really know what that was. But we started playing and then uh, people started hiring us <laughs> for, you know, and it took off really fast. Wow. So we've been working for 30 some odd years now. <laughs> Incredible. Solidly. We stopped. Uh, 2016, we said, especially for advertising, we've been still shooting for a number, you know, a number of people and doing very selective mm -hmm. uh, work. But as far as commercial, you know, not really, you know, because it's just a different industry now. <laughs> so, yeah, so much has changed. Yeah. What were the first impressions of meeting the band? What were your first impressions? Well, they were beautiful and, and we had ideas and they were open to the ideas and they were pretty extreme. I think they had ideas and they were, let's do the seasons. Well, that was the second shoot. Right. That was like one of the shoots. The first shoot was LA and we shot like in a train downtown LA and then in a train yard. And in the beach. And yeah, and like a, yeah, but it still had the same vibe, which was the it, like earth, natural environment. Yeah, I don't recall actually the yeah that one. I'm not why even we sure. ended up in those positions? Yeah, I think um, we liked them. I I think what we tended to do a lot is give people, especially because they were so wholesome looking. Wanted to give them an edge. And I think Basha did the same thing um, with the Slyland. Mm. Um, so we probably picked like urban locations that were a little grittier. Well, like, also that was our aesthetic. And they that was our aesthetic. That's probably why they hired us. So, you know, it's one leg in traditional folk music and one leg in pop. So we're kind of pushing them in a third direction, maybe. Um, and that's just very intuitive for but us. But they went totally. Yeah, I think they, they went. They, you, they may have wanted to well, do you that. You can't anyway. really push a person, I really feel. 
what you do is you introduce elements and they either pick them up or leave them. And we were very fortunate. We had a fantastic set designer, Bill Doig, who was a person that we worked with all the time. And he brought the props, which, and they, I believe, might have said, oh, let's do, you know, the, the elements, you know, so it's, uh, or winter, summer, spring, fall, or something. But then our take on it was totally deranged. You know, for example, our snowfall might have been feathers, and our winter or weather might be a fan with mylar attached to it, blowing like streamers. And the flowers were plastic plastic flowers, flowers. Uh, the other thing was uh oh the sand in, in summer so we just had 100 pound bags of james, sand. there's a picture <laughs> i was looking at all the pictures there's a picture with james carrying a stack of sand, sand and that was summer <laughs> like, like a laborer so it so, was probably like so it was all tongue-in-cheek and fun you that know? was probably off on a, we tended to go off on tangents sometimes so just try things and well, they, they would be maybe a little absurd, but you know, you kind of have to go there. Well, we were on a roof and we did the um, maze out of fake grass. Did you and bring the grass? Yes, all that stuff was props and we were just having so much fun. So we brought the plastic flowers, the fans, the mylar, the feathers, the sand, and they were, you know, shovels and they were just like sure we'll dig and we'll do this and they were having fun we basically played through the shoot and there's like uh deck chairs from like pool chairs right on an urban rooftop so it's kind of you know nice edge that was summer weather <laughs> yeah it's just kind of everything's mixed up and and not quite you know it's it a makes little, it unique I yeah i think they had fun with it they, they look like they've really had fun with it. I think when you're photographing bands, it's really a bit of a trick to figure out how to make it fun because it's just easier. It's got to be a break from that routine of promo yeah. for the sake well, of promo, isn't it? Band shots are difficult. You know, and we always prefer band shots on location because right. well, yeah. you have a lot of more spontaneity. They can interact with the surroundings. And you're not, you're not ending up with a four people in a row <laughs> you know that's the thing the isn't studio, it? Yeah. yeah which is really difficult i mean well, if you can pull that off that's you're pretty good that's a challenge because you know it's been done so many times you pulled it off you well and truly pulled it off thank you And we have just, we had a ton.
ton of photos. I take it both of you are shooting. Yeah, we shoot um, a variety of cameras. So we would, this was analog before digital. And we would bring four by five cameras, Hasselblad, Nikons. Uh, I always carried a Leica. So we just Polaroid. basically Polaroid land camera, which we use 665 and we have the negative behind it. Yeah. So we just we just go crazy. It must have felt like a like a press conference. A press conference. <laughs> As we're both shooting, racing so it, around. It, it kind of it's disarming because they they don't know what's going on. So it, it kind of it works in one way. Sometimes it doesn't work because they get it's confusing, but sometimes they just let go. Well, and sometimes they're concentrating where you don't want them to concentrate, and the person that's on the side saying, in other words, you're saying, look at me over here, do this, and then yeah. the person is still taking pictures, so you get this whole, yeah, other thing. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea is to kind of create spontaneity, whatever way you can. Um, I mean, in a controlled way. You kind of control all the elements, and then you just try to yeah, we basically build a box let go and it. then we say, okay, go in there and play. Yeah, because really the best shots are the ones you don't really plan. Of course. Of course. Yeah. You know? Yeah, when they're naturally just being themselves in okay. the environment you've put them in. I might as well interject it at this point, because this is this is like fans have been talking about this for yeah, twenty-five years, I guess. What can what can you tell me about the ball? What can you tell me? The ball. Oh, the ball. <laughs> that probably was. What was that ball made out yeah, of? That's we, another. That's another top secret item. <laughs> no, it's not. But like, what? <laughs> let me. Where is that? Where's the picture? Oh, here. Let's look at the ball picture. We got. We got to go on screen. Because that's the. Dirt, and there's so. a circle. I think there's a whole Irish mythology thing going yeah, on. Yeah, might have been. That we kind of um, just played. Corrupted. With. Yeah. Yeah. Because we appropriated. appropriated it. But I think it had to do with its, the seasons, the elements. Well, it was the sand. You know, I think it's whatever there it is. people interpret it. That's the thing. And that's, that's the glory of the shot. I think the element doesn't look out of place, even though it yeah. should be. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And to be honest, the way we photograph is... We don't want to tell a very specific story. What we want to do is add the elements, which makes it a mystery. And then the viewer, they get to they get to add all the content they want, you know, because it's just enough to where it's it's like a story that you got a peek at, but you don't know how it started or where it ends. And that's very important to us. Yeah. I mean, the the, the ball is kind of a reoccurring theme. In our work, I, I'm just recalling it. There's one shot we did. I mean, it's a totally different context, but it was for Diggable Planets. I, mean, I think we had, oh, three, we, had balls. we had three balls that they were walking toward. <laughs> and <laughs> over like, a bridge. Right, over a bridge in New York someplace. It's like, I, again, I don't know where that came from either. Would the, the ball in question have been brought as a prop? Yeah. We brought everything, yeah, because yeah, the roof was empty. We had to clean up after we left. We made a big mess. <laughs> we actually had, there's a picture of them shoveling dirt. Yeah, we had the uh, circles. We actually put them to work. <laughs> right. Maybe we had a limited budget. I don't know. <laughs> you, you have four people on hand, so let's, you know. Yeah. You're right. We were like, 
with we, the shovel. <laughs> Sharon, would you mind uh, helping us out here a little bit? That's brilliant. Um, at least it, we know it's definitely a brought prop. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I, after a long period of hunting, uh, finally found the rooftop in question a couple of weeks back. Found exactly which which place it was. Um, mm -hmm. Contacted the owner, and they were very kind, and actually went to the roof and took pictures for me wow. of oh, wow. what it looks like today. And I'll be able to share those oh, with you so wow. you can see what it looks like today. Where do you think the location was? Uh, oh, no, is I'm... it in the notebook? Yeah, I'm going to look underneath this thing because it might be. Um, was it Brooklyn or Long Island City? It's funny. Oh gosh. I have an exact location. I, I just wondered if you knew. Tell us. Tell us, because we're curious. The the company is the All Best Metal Stamping Offices. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, that, that is in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. Okay. And they, wow. they've been in business since the 50s. So it's the same company still running. Wow. Oh, that's fantastic. Wish I'm going to write that down. All Best. All Best. I'll send you links after sure. the show. Oh, thank you, because that's just... For us, those kind of uh, did, like, did you see this? I wish I could. I wish I could share this with him. I'll send it to him. Oh, Connie's looking at a picture of all four of them with a wheelbarrow and shovels, and a broom. And a broom. I and mean, we can share these with you. In Basha's very sophisticated clothes. <laughs> very sophisticated. Oh, she did an incredible. They job. probably they probably returned them full of dirt in the pockets. Some of that clothing she still has. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's like, she does, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so there was two shoots. Yeah. The other one, I have yet to find exact locations for the, for the, for the beach, as well as there's the shoots that look like uh, they were outside a Mexican restaurant. Yep. Yes. Yeah, it was a single for a runaway. I just posted that one today. And I tagged you on Instagram. That's what we still have on maybe. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Bienvenido, amigos. Yeah. <laughs> was it was this shoot done before or after the rooftop, do you know? Before. Just before, yeah. Is that we were in um David Foster's house at a meeting in Malibu? Um so it probably was that was kinda I think that was the first time we met them. We had a production meeting. Did you see them doing recording then? No, no, but no, I, we they were, were in the middle of it. Yeah, they were in the, must have been in the middle of it because we were in David Foster's house, which was a big deal for us. <laughs> it was a very nice house. Mm. That's where we first met him. Were either of those first two shoots near his house then? They might have been. Oh, the outdoor location? Maybe. It was kind of like a rocky beach. It kind of looked like Ireland. I'm looking at the pictures. I mean, I have the address of David Foster's house. In our notebook. You don't have to give that. No, but I mean, maybe that would help you find the train station. <laughs> oh, the train. Yeah, the train. Well, you know. Well, look, here's yeah. the beach. It's yeah, but like look at really this. It's a really rocky beach. It's a rocky beach. But this here, N-U-G-O, this N-U-G-O, this yeah. is the, we never showed this in any pictures, but that's yeah. the top of this. Restaurant. Right. Oh, okay, so there's there's more details in the images for the restaurant. Oh, yeah, there's, there's snapshots yeah. of. Connie, actually. There's a, like, I did a lot of standing in for for where we're going to shoot. Connie was always the standing model. Yeah, I, I tagged you. I tagged you on the Instagram. We could do a whole photo book on Connie as a standing model. <laughs> Wearing clothes that are 
Too twice, big. Twice <laughs> Talk about a surreal book. <laughs> Polaroids have become um, kind bad, of um, special because they're, um, well, they don't make the material anymore. But they're just, um, they're kind of like, you would take a, a Polaroid just before you were ready to use film. So a lot of the Polaroids are kind of setting up their backgrounds, their, you know, the behind the scenes pictures. But and, a lot of the Polaroids we end up using for the final because we have the negative. Yeah. And then they've faded over time and they have an interesting patina. Wow. They weren't coded correctly. Oh. There was some fixing it that you would have to roll on, but you would have a, a little plastic tube that you would open. And then you take the Polaroid and you'd have to code it. And if you didn't code it correctly, over time it would Yeah, save. your assistants would code it, but they might not really code it carefully. Yeah, because they weren't that valuable. So it would time. be streaky. But so I found some on eBay. Connie bought some on eBay for a fortune. And recoded and them all so they would stop fading and last, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. And half of them were dried out. I can't believe yeah. you've done that. I can't believe you've done that. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Yeah, that, that kind of stuff. It's, it's the great unseen and the variances of images that have been burned into your mind with their own story that's played out in your own head, as you said, and then seeing different aspects and different layers to those images now and seeing you in that location, to me, is just mind-blowing. We didn't realize 30 years ago that that would be fun now. <laughs> yeah. You know, we were just like, this is our like workbook where we remember how we shot it, what we did, what lights we Ring, you know yeah and uh now it's like almost historical in a funny way you know well also the notebooks have like there'll be photo shoots on each page so it's spread mm -hmm. and then there will be something totally unre unrelated like something else we we're working on like in our lives and that would be like pasted in there somewhere. in the middle of all this so it was just kind of a random loose um Kind of a diary, but... Yeah, but a visual one. When you first met the band in person, that would have been in Malibu at David Foster. Yep. And they were probably midway through recording the album, you say. Yeah, we didn't know, you know, because we're so like, it's, you kind of jump in and you're not part of the party. Yeah. And so you jump in, so you're not sure exactly what you're witnessing. So you can think you're witnessing what you're thinking, but it might not be that at all, you know, because you're just, you know, so it could be very misleading. Well, you, you, it's scheduled on your appointment book and you fly and you, yeah. you have the meeting and then you shoot and then you go home. Yeah. You know, it's And then you a, have a ton of work to do and then you're not even sure. And you're doing other projects. You yeah. So. You're just focused on really what you need to do. Right. Well, and also I think it's it's very, which is really good for people with short attention spans. It's really good when, uh, you know, you can just go in and you're playing hard and then you leave. Yeah. And then you have this other project that you're doing. So it's very, yeah, it's very in the moment. You're bouncing around a lot. And you're bouncing around and you have to be able to be adaptable and just go in, swat team, have fun and then leave. And our key, I mean, mostly for our entire career, I know some photographers are very serious and they think of themselves in a very serious. Russell and I, like, we had to have fun. We had to play. And 
if we had fun and we felt exhilarated and we lost track of time, then we considered success. You know, and we had to like just be so absorbed in our play that uh, we forgot everything else that's around us. Wow. And that was very important. Mm. It still is. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Well, I think you find what works, the mode of working that works best for you. Mm. You know, some people need to really be serious, focused. And, and it's not like we weren't serious, but I think we had to be, it had to be a playful endeavor. Once, once all the planning and everything was nailed down, you got to be loose. Yeah. And then I think we're working with bands was an opportunity to do that. Because sometimes with advertising, it's, it's all so locked in. It, it, you, there's no spontaneity. And, and that's, that's always... Boring. <laughs> not boring. It's just limiting. So with bands, and some bands are so like, you know, like we shot Wu-Tang Clan and it was just like herding cats. I mean, to get them all in one shot was really impossible. Mm. We made collages, but we yeah. had so much fun because it was really surreal. So, and we and had, you know, that's, and that's fun. Figures. That's always fun. It's challenging. Um, but we like that. That's amazing insight to how you work and how you've continued to work through all those years is that amazing balance between the, the paperwork, the logistics of it all, and the, okay, we're going to go and have some fun here. Oh, right, we finished with that. Yeah, we've got some logistics and, and the, the hard work afterwards. But in the meantime, we're going to have some fun here as well to break it up. And yeah, it sounds amazing. It sounds really amazing and really fulfilling. The team is super like important. Bill and Basha, they kind of have that playful quality also i think that's why we worked so and well they're surreal and probably i don't recall the hair and makeup team but again they probably had a similar approach to uh working also mm. i think what it is is you can be completely undone by a team that's not supportive and we always hired because there's two of us we have a lot of cameras we have a lot of technical stuff that has to keep going and smoothly like loading and this and that and different types of film and then tracking it and coding it and we worked with amazing people that we still I mean years and years and years the same type of you know the same people and it's like a group it's a group mm. you know and they and they make you look good you have to honor it's very yeah, it's important a, it's a, it's a, it's a you know, the photographers always get all the credit, but it's, it's really a, a team, teamwork, you know, it's, it's, it's a group effort. It's funny you mentioned that because one of the first things we really spoke about me and uh, Basha was how thankful she's been through the years that her work has been credited by you both and that she's been recognized oh. as part of that team. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's so important. And especially with Basha, because we did some major, major advertising. Mm. where Basha, like for Louis Vuitton, she made the clothes. I mean, it wasn't, they didn't have clothes when we shot it. We were just supposed to shoot the bags. And we were like, Basha, let's do everything in checks and make a men's check suit in a check dress and check and did it. Incredible. Amazing. Work. Incredible. And it was really a super successful campaign. 
she's very artistic and she play, you know, she's the same. She just, she's wonderful. Obviously there's the album cover shot. Right. Who chose that shot? They did. Yeah. But, yeah. Because we just, what we do is we turn in our favorites. We usually, what we do is we usually will print up or work on the ones we love. And then we send the shoot, you know, basically contacts and everything mm. else. And then the art director will choose the ones that are appropriate for their project. But it seemed that in our notebook, the ones that we loved, we pasted in oh, our yeah, notebook. The album cover was the uh, album cover we is the we have the Polaroid cover. of the original album cover. Right. And it's so we so that we kind of mutually on the same page. <laughs> wow. That's wonderful. Especially over the course of two shoots to know that you you've got on that page together with the artist uh, yeah. and with the band. Yeah. Especially when there's not just one person in that band. They'll oh, all need four. to have their say. Um, yes. You've both worked together and with your team to establish a series of shots that represent the band and your work. And then the band have then reflected that back to you and gone, yeah, that that's definitely in the right direction. And that's what we want for yeah. our first yeah. album. Yeah. And you say that's a train station. Is it, um, yeah. It, well, it was a train on oh, track. Yeah, I'd assume yeah. it's a rail yard. Probably. It's a rail yard, probably. We always tried to liked industrial landscapes there's a certain beauty to the decay yeah and again that gives everyone an edge you know it just and that's a a stylistic device that was used at that period in time i think maybe now it's a cliche because it has textural qualities and it's abstract so i think that almost any of these in my mind when we have a good shoot it, it stands the test of time People will like them, refer to them, because nothing is so, oh, that's so 80s or that's so 90s. It's completely timeless. Yeah. And for me, that's extremely important because my favorite, favorite work of ours, I can pull it out now and people will be loving it. It's not uh, dated. And that's very important. Mm. Maybe the industrial uh, locations have, a, have an amb ambiguity. There's a, there's a beauty to it. Yeah. It just always seemed to work. You know, maybe now, for example, maybe our industrial landscape might go to power grids and uh, nuclear plants. We did go to Poland and photograph like these towers. And so they're disturbing, but in the same way, it's kind of a, for us, we always try to add that what's happening, humanity, you know, like a little, a little of our worry into photos. Yeah. Like when you're location scouting, um, you'll either go somewhere that you're familiar with because, you know, we didn't live in LA, so we weren't as familiar of LA as we were of New York, but typically you would hire a location scout mm. and they would use either their um, catalog of locations or they would go somewhere new send you the pic they'd have to have the pictures developed send them to you in the mail can you imagine that and then you would pick your location so a lot of times you may not have thought of a location until you saw these pictures and that would spark 
uh, an idea. The ideas come from many different places. But um, also they would be familiar with our work, so they would know what we yeah. would like. There's a common denominator. Yeah. You would hire the location scout because they kind of know what you're looking for anyway. Nice. Um, the ideas could come from the, the talent themselves. Or the, well, know. even the beach, like you would have, you could have a typical LA beach, but we preferred the, it almost looks like we went to. Oh, um, it looks like Ireland. Yeah, it was really rocky well, and really probably, hard to get around. And we liked that better than your normal beach. So. And I remember actually this, there was on the beach, there was some cliffs and amongst the dunes, there were paths. And I remember that we had them kind of walking down the line path, like, down the path. We right, were, on the side we were, of the cliff. We were walking backwards and not knowing where we were going. <laughs> so someone would probably And be, they were playing their instruments. And they, I remember um, Sharon playing the violin, walking down the path, and it was really beautiful. Wow. You know, it's so poetic. Because it, it, it felt like Ireland, you know? Captured that part of home still. Yeah. East Coast, West Coast, that was unusual. That was, in other words, the, the, the record company was putting like some big bucks behind this band and they were using top people, you know, like the producers and all that. So there was something there. Everybody must have known they were just wonderful, you know, and they wanted to make sure that everything was perfect for the first one. All of the major shots seem to be West Coast. West Coast. Rear or extra shots. Yes. Seem to be the other one. Yeah. Yes. Um, and all of the beautiful Irish looking beach stuff wasn't used. Yeah, that's interesting. Right? Yeah. Um, it's like they really liked the edge you've given them. I think in, so, yeah. In the context of the backgrounds and gone, no, if we're going to do that, we're going to go all the way. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. But, you know, at the time, you're not, you're not sure. No one's really sure what the direction to go in. So it's good to have a range uh, within, a, within a context. You don't want to be all over the place. You kind of want to cover options as much as you can. And then it's up to them to, to do with yeah, what they will. Exactly. And they, they don't even know until they see the pictures, you know. It's a very intuitive process. And, and again, you know, for the first album, they're even less sure of how they want to be uh, perceived, you know, mm. image-wise. So um, it's an interesting process. Incredibly. This is cross-process. Uh, oh, that's the other thing. We use cross-process film, which is like taking film, shooting it, and then 
shooting it incorrectly and processing it as something else. You get this. Shoot one way and you process it as another kind of film. And it produces a really contrasty. Extreme uh, image. Uh, so what we would do is do the cross processing and then, print it and then take the negative, the color negative, processed incorrectly and printed in the darkroom in black and white. Wow. So a lot of those pictures, they have a really good quality. Yeah. Contrasty. And that's how that was done. And that was kind of our thing. Because this is all pre-computer. So you're always looking for ways to make your pictures look unique. And it was always experimenting. Oh, actually the eight by ten film, the Polaroid, we discovered by a mistake that our assistant did, we were shooting at the Neville brothers and we processed the color film, but we used the black and white paper to run for the Polaroid machine. Mm -hmm. And it came out this brown, wonderful color. And so then we started shooting like that, but it would literally cost them all twice as much money because yeah. you're throwing away one box of <laughs> mm -hmm. so but it was this really unique look and that was by accident we discovered it on the shoot and we just shot the whole job that way because we liked it <laughs> and and really it, it kind of connects now i think about it especially for bands we would always try to mess up the pictures in some way and it kind of connects to the gritty urban landscapes the final print particularly in black and white, always looked like they were bleached or fogged or grainy or blacks were really dense. So they would have that gritty quality. Or just some romantic. It could even go yeah. romantic. You know, and something that is beyond just a document of something. Yeah, it's trying to put it in a place that is serious and a little ambiguous. Um, the viewer has a lot to grab onto and think about and didn't and make their own stories because there's something obviously going on now we imagined it it's only a moment but they can expand it to a universe it's great it's an incredible way of working some images from the rooftop show the band with obviously their instruments mm -hmm. and this was after the first sheets so rooftop shoot did they actually play and sing there's the, they might have played something but a, i don't remember there's a great play. picture i'm looking at it now where they're inside this urban factory and they're just walking towards this playing their instruments and they look like they're playing it's kind of great it's cool that at least to get confirmation that they were actually playing. It's not just posed. Oh, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's really hard to fake it. Yeah, yeah, they can't. Can you tell me more about the car that was used in some of the photos? Yeah, I, I'm surprised you haven't asked us about the Carmen Gia. The, uh, the car. car in front of the restaurant. <laughs> Do you believe it was just there at the time? Uh, we don't know. Well, you know, it looks too beat up to be a prop car, so it's probably just sitting there. Yeah, but you'd have to ask the person. Did we ask the person? No, yes, we meeting wouldn't. on someone's car, you get into like a we, world of trouble. We wouldn't have cared about that. Well, you care about it fun. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes you, um, when you go back and look at the work, you discover pictures that, that you, you completely overlook. And they're really good, and especially you, in the new in the new era. <laughs> like it's like you and and you wonder why that wasn't selected to yeah. send to the art director. And it's I guess your perspective is different. It's just interesting, you know. You, 
you look at things in a different way 30 years later. Yeah. You're, you're different. You're a different person. You've, you've different person, different time. Maybe the pictures you liked in the beginning just seem less interesting than others. Mm. Not always. always, I don't think it has to be less or more. I think it's just different. Or maybe the, the impact the image may have had for you back then is different because you, you know it more. Maybe. Yes. We have this, I'm looking at these pictures. We have a great picture of James with a blindfold on. And the girls are just kind of laughing. Laughing. On the beach. And it's kind of great. It's solarite. Yeah, it's solarite, which means um, the Polaroid uh, was cold. It was cold and it, it's the, it had a so, light leak. So in the dark areas, it uh, turned into a negative. Wow. So it's kind of a surreal look. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. This one um, works. This one works. And um, so what we would do is you take the Polaroid and then you'd have a negative that you put in a sulfite solution on location. So, and then at the end of the day, you would bring about a hundred of these. Um, to the hotel room. <laughs> three by four inch negatives. Uh, and you would wash them in your hotel room, and then you would hang them up to dry. On a string with clothespins. With clothespins. And usually the assistant's job would be to do that. The room um, would be filled with Polaroids, hanging so, every place. <laughs> so it, and it, yeah, it's kind of funny to think about. And probably the floors will be stained with sodium sulfite. I, I know the, the effect you mean, because I've seen it on some of the example images I've seen in low quality. Um, yeah. and my brain couldn't work out what I was watching because I'm, I'm look or looking at it's, it's a positive, but it also has areas that are, yeah. are a negative, yes. uh, but in areas of high contrast. So it works. And I, it's usually yeah. the black areas mm. that, that become negative. All right. That's reverse. them walking down the hill on the beach. Playing. Yeah. So a lot of these on the beach are solarized probably because of the it weather. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, you'd always go, ah, damn, you know, because you can't really do anything about it. But later you look at them and you go, oh, this is cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> I like it. So that's, again, that's the, the, the serendipity part of the process, is that these mistakes sometimes are perfect. Work yeah. to your advantage. So you kind of want to allow a little, you don't want the whole shoot to be colorized. No. But, Sometimes mistakes work in your favor, and and so you know use them. Do you have a favorite photo from that shoot? It's hard. There's so many great shots. They were I'm telling you they were beautiful. So it was really hard to take a bad photo. We'd have to be really like not paying attention. <laughs> Look at this one. I know it's just this, fabulous. I'm looking at another one where he's. James is blindfolded and they're on the rocky beach and it has some, it's like they're playing a game, you know, and what's great is they look like a family, really like playful Mm. and genuine. Most bands aren't all related. And so this is kind of, kind of unique. Yeah. I mean, you like that one, but yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard to pick one. Yeah, because I love that. I love the cute ones. Yeah, see, I love that one. Yeah, there's one of just the four of them on our on the, the roof. roof, and they're they're adorable. You say you're not much talkers, but 
you've brought loads of insight today. Thank you. Well, we enjoyed it. It was fun jogging our memories. Yeah. Lovely. I feel transported back in time. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. That's really lovely to hear. Thank you so much. I've, I've been, yeah, nervous to see what it would be like to interview two people at the same time, but you work so well as a unit that it's just become really natural. You've made my job very I easy. I guess 30 years of practice, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk with me about your work from 25 years ago. It's been really amazing to hear your insights fresh as they've come back into your memories. Thank you so much again for taking the time to be on the show and keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. No doubt we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Cheers. Another huge thanks goes out to Connie and Russell for spending time and being willing to partake in the podcast series. It was incredible to see such insight from behind the lens and to garner further information about how the promotional process went for the band in these early days. After countless hours going through Google Maps, trawling through Californian beach and shorelines and cliffs and numerous restaurants throughout the state, Um, I finally was able to match up the exact locations used for this photo shoot. Connie and Russell had details and business cards that I was able to trace the owners of locations from and then trace back to geo coordinates, a rough area. The restaurant itself that was used for the iconic shots on the runaway single and that can also be seen in a lot of the unused shots from this shoot. It's still a restaurant. It's owned by somebody else now that I was able to get in contact with, and they've taken pictures of the outside as it looks like today. And in the show notes, you'll find links to images of as it was back then, and images matched up showing what it's like now. And most importantly of all, we finally now have the location that was used for the album cover itself. All of these, as always, referenced with geo-coordinates. If you happen to visit any of these locations yourself, please get in touch with images. It'd be wonderful to realise that fans had now been able to visit these locations all these years later. Thank you again for those who have reached out with questions, comments and feedback regarding the series so far. It's always lovely to hear from those that are listening throughout the world. If at all possible, I'd always ask if you could leave a review on the podcasting platform that you are using. And if you could share the content, whether that be on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it will all help in bringing this series to others so they can listen along too. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes in the series... I would urge you again, as always, to go back and listen. And if you have any ideas, feedback or thoughts regarding the series, or if you wish to be on CauseCast, please feel free to reach out. You can contact CauseCast on any of the socials just using the handle CauseCast. In the next episode in the season, we head back towards the music and focus on someone who was responsible for first hearing the sound that we came to know as forgiven, not forgotten. This person was credited by the cause as the first person that had listened to the music and genuinely liked it. Thank you for listening, and until next time, you've been listening to CauseCast. Cast.